Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome to Central Line. I'm your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. I have a little bit of a special treat for you today. As many of you know, uh, AHA put out an update earlier this year to the 2018 Diabetes Management Guidelines. This update was a small one, but an important one. And so we've had diabetes on the brain here for a little bit um, this year. And um, this episode is actually made possible by one of our major supporters of those guidelines, Beringer Ingelheim Animal Health. So we really appreciate their support always. And um, when the AHA team was thinking about diabetes, um, we were we were thinking about how it must feel to be a client on the other side of that table um, when your beloved pet is diagnosed with diabetes. It's such a chronic and difficult disease to treat in a lot of cases, and it must just feel very overwhelming if you don't have a lot of experience with it, um, with family members or um, no medical background at all. And so that inspired um, us to bring some of those clients onto the podcast. And luckily, I had some in the family. So <laughs> David Berlin and Alex Bronson, welcome to Central Line. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thank Hi, Katie. Uh, and we, we also have Audrey here. Audrey is a furry family member in question today. So uh, you can see she's, if you're watching the video here, she's joining us. I'm sure she'll get restless and run away soon, but I'm glad she stayed to sign on with us. Um, so David is my brother um, and uh, I remember very clearly hearing from you that um, that Audrey had been diagnosed with diabetes, which is, you know, must have been a lot for you. And we're definitely going to get into that, talk about what it's been like for you guys and what your experience has been. But, oh, Audrey's done. <laughs> but uh, first, I just wanted to introduce our listeners to you two. So, Dave, would you mind giving us a little bit of intro to yourself? How did you come to be here and what do you do for a living? Sure. Well, um, as previously mentioned, I'm your little brother, um, and I live here in Brooklyn with my wife, Alex, and I've been an educator, um, elementary, middle, and high school for 15 years now, um, and proud cat dad to Henry and Audrey. They are super lucky cats because they have a pretty good life, gotta say. Um, and Alex, how about you? Yeah. Uh, I am lucky enough to be part of this family. Uh, my name is Alex Bronson, and I've also been an educator for 15 years. I'm currently a principal at a middle school in Brooklyn, part of the Uncommon Schools, and uh, have for just as long been cat mom to Henry Nudry. It's so great to have you both here. I love seeing your faces on, on the screen with me. And, um, you know, you really are great cat parents and um, God love you for working in education for so long. <laughs> so, um, it, you know, and that really comes back to the fact that like all of our clients have a life outside of that exam room and stresses and pressures and schedules and all sorts of factors that it's very easy to forget about when we're the one, you know, just we know we have a job to do and we got to give you the information you need. And sometimes it's very hard for us to put ourselves in your shoes. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this um, with us. Uh, before we get started, I always ask a personal question at the beginning of the episode. And obviously, since we're talking about Audrey today, 
you know, we're talking about Audrey probably a lot more than you guys. Sorry. <laughs> she's, she's the center of this conversation. So I would like to know what would the title of Audrey's autobiography be? Uh, so the, the title came clearly to me. Uh, Audrey is the one member of our family who can do nothing wrong in David's eyes. Uh, <laughs> And he goes to great length to ensure that she is uh, in extreme comfort, um, even when she does something that is, the impact is uh, one that is difficult. Uh, she didn't do anything wrong. And so I believe her autobiography title would be, I'm perfect. <laughs> I'm sure if you asked her, she would also come up with that title. <laughs> yeah. She's she definitely does not suffer from low self-esteem, Audrey. No. Yeah, you've done a very good job of making sure of that. I love it. Well, I think a lot of people can relate to that because um, you know, as you know, I also have animals that can do no wrong. So um, so let's just jump in. Let's talk about Audrey's diagnosis. Um, you know, how long ago was she diagnosed and what were the circumstances? Like, how did you feel when you found that out? Yeah. Uh, so she was diagnosed, correct me if I'm wrong here, but September, I think of 2021. Um, and I had had an inkling something was wrong because I cleaned the litter boxes and I noticed an increase in uh, urine output and that she had been drinking a lot of water. She's always been kind of a heavy drinker. So um, it wasn't that weird, but I just noticed that she was emptying the water bowl like quickly. So we made an appointment at the vet. I think we need, we were due for one anyway. And um, you know, they did all the things. So I wasn't super surprised because I had been Googling, uh, you know, a little bit on my own, which I know is probably not Beth's favorite thing, but <laughs> um, we all do it. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I was doing it anyway. And so when the diagnosis came back, I wasn't super surprised by it because it seemed like all the signs were there. Um, but we were definitely, uh, caught a little bit unawares. Alex was in California with her dad at the time. And so, uh, I think we just were sort of struggling with how to navigate it. I know I was a little bit part of myself at first because I felt like I should have seen the signs sooner. Uh, you know, like in retrospect, I was like, oh, was she peeing so much and drinking so much for longer? Should I have gotten her in there sooner? Um, so, yeah, it was definitely, you know, a little bit disorienting. And I remember, I, I think probably my first phone call was to you, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Alex, how about you? Um, not being home, I know you must have found out all, all of this over the phone. What were you thinking? Yeah, I, I can remember the phone call really clearly. And I I didn't know as much as Dave about what uh, feline diabetes meant. And so for me, it was receiving the information and I was thinking like, Okay, like, so how do we navigate this? And then once I also like went to Google uh, afterwards and started understanding what this meant, I started getting really upset thinking about the discomfort that she would be in and wasn't uh, thinking about the discomfort and thinking about like, how long do we have with her? And uh, is this a, a death sentence? Is this, does this mean months? How do we elongate her life as much as possible? And how do we ensure that she is as comfortable as possible for, um, for as long as we can? Yeah. And, and I, 
like I remember when you you guys got Audrey, you found her, right? You were on vacation and she was like a little pipsqueak and she ended up having like a super, um, <laughs> I mean, for some parts of the country anyway, it's a super weird thing. Um, didn't she have a warble, like a, a big old larva? Cuterebra. Yep. Cuterebra larva, which is also uh, another term for that is warble. And it, and it was like the size of her because she was so tiny. I remember that. Um, and she was, oh, she's a bedraggled little thing. And she is just the most loved cat. So I could only imagine what you must have been thinking then if you were thinking maybe your time with her might be more limited or very limited. Um, and, you know, diabetes isn't something our family has had a ton of, of experience with, at least not this kind of diabetes. Uh, so I remember answering a bunch of questions, but there's also, you know, when you're at the end of the phone, there's a lot of information we don't have when we're trying to help family members and friends. And it's a lot. It is a lot. Um, did your vet team, do you feel like they um, were supportive at the time of diagnosis? Like, did they go through a lot of options with you? Did you feel like it was like Charlie Brown's mom, you know, like wah, 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 while your head was spinning? What was that like? Yeah. So I, I think I took her back for the follow-up. Um, once she had gotten the diagnosis, I guess they ran her blood sugar, blood sugar and it was pretty clear. Um, so I took her back in and I have to shout them out for just being awesome throughout the whole process. Like they uh, gave me like a multi-page kind of like rundown of all the things to expect and think about, um, which was really helpful because as you said, in the moment, you know, you're trying to take in all this information and I've read it online and some of the information you find is like contrary to other other information. And so it was really helpful to have like this resource that I could go back to, um, you know, it's kind of like a pamphlet, like, so your cat has diabetes, right? Um, right. Yeah. And so that was super helpful. Um, and I would say they were just, they were like super patient with me as I had questions. Um, the thing I, I appreciated most, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but as they started talking about insulin delivery and blood sugar testing and monitoring, like that stuff was totally brand new. Um, I had some comfort giving her injections before from a previous, she had allergies and we were giving her like a, a medicine that way. Um, so I was like a, a relatively comfortable with it. But uh, the thing I found most helpful was that at that follow-up appointment, we, uh, they had one of the technicians like work with me on giving her injections of just saline and take her blood uh, sugar from her ears. And we just did it like, you know, five or 10 times. And uh, just watching them and like learning from them was extremely helpful and took a little bit of the anxiety away from doing that. Um, she, ha she also happens to be just like a very pliable, agreeable cat. And so, uh, you know, it's like, she, she's a model patient when it comes to that, but just like the, the reps and the practice was super helpful for me. Yeah. And, and Alex, you missed all of that, right? Like you were away when that was happening. Was that really hard? Because you're like, okay, he got all the benefit of being this in this room and getting this information firsthand and doing all the testing and trying and trial and error. And you didn't have that. Did you go back later and have that? Or did Dave show you everything? Uh, Dave showed me uh, the mechanisms, but I, I also have to say that our vet was just incredibly, I think Dave said patient, uh, which is exactly what they were. And also just really kind mm -hmm. and though I wasn't there in person with them and they uh, didn't necessarily encourage a lot of in-person like additional appointments because this was also like during the heart of COVID, they were incredibly responsive to email and also didn't just respond to answers, but 
responded to how we were emotionally uh, and inquired about that as well. That's awesome. That's really great. I love to hear that about vet teams and because I know they work so hard to make sure that patients are taken care of, but um, you know, the, sometimes we're just not sure how those interactions go from our side. So I'm sure they would love to hear that too. Hopefully, well, maybe we could share this with them. Um, yeah. But was it a veterinary technician like or assistant who was doing the demos with you and stuff, or was it the veterinarian? Uh, the veterinarian gave me the whole spiel. And then um, she, I think the technician came in and did all of the work. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's pretty typical. Yeah. <laughs> the veterinarians I mean, talk a lot and then the vet techs come in and do all the work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, like he was like, he was like Mozart with that syringe. Like I, <laughs> I've never yeah. seen anything like it. And, and I had been doing the shots the wrong way when, uh, or I mm-hmm. guess I, I never really like learned. And so uh, I had been kind of holding it with two fingers and pushing with my thumb and he taught me how to hold it with, uh, the thumb and the pointer finger and then to push it with one of my back fingers, mm. which was not something I considered, but worked like a ton better and never would have occurred to me. So like little things like that, um, were super, super helpful. And like, I should say that I had done, I think every single administration of the previous injections, um, because Alex has a fear of needles. Um, <laughs> so then I had to teach Alex and then Alex um, ended up being much better at it than I did. So uh, that was kind of unsuspected, but yeah, Alex, tell us about that fear of needles. Like how bad was your fear of needles exactly? Oh, it, uh, it's bad when I, uh, (laughs) when I go in for my own like shots, I apologize to the nurses ahead of time, telling them that the tears are me, not them. And that they are inevitable, no matter how good they are. Uh, and I think that when we learned that Audrey had diabetes and she needed to have injections twice a day, it was a little bit different than what our previous circumstance was where we treated her with an allergy medicine. That was, it was one of many things that we had tried. It wasn't as frequent. Mm -hmm. And I think that if I were to give a hypothesis of what changed for me, this was what I dream needed in order to continue living. And so there was just a shift for me of, okay, like I just need to figure out how to do this. And as soon as I, you know, was able to administer the first, uh, the first shot and she didn't even flinch. I think that it uh, allowed me to just, um, do this rhythmically moving forward. Love that. Uh, and you're still afraid of needles for yourself. I take it. Sure. I am. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that. That's so typical, right? Is like, you know, we'll like pay for massages for our animals, but like not go ourselves and we're going to buck up and give that injection if that's what needs to be done. But God forbid someone come at us with a needle. I think that's really great and really exemplifies how much you love her. Um, so, so initially you were nervous about it, but you kind of like, I mean, you're, you're educators, you are problem solvers, you're faced with, you know, fires to put out all day. So I would imagine that's sort of the same mindset you brought to this is like, okay, this is a problem. We're going to solve it. Um, what was the learning curve? Like, like, did you feel comfortable either of you, both of you within a few days? Did it take weeks? Um, 
Was it just kind of like a gradual shift until you realized you weren't nervous or anything anymore? For me, the the nerves of actually administering the shot dissipated very quickly. Then there were like two things that created anxiety. It took a little while to figure out the rhythm of getting her the blood for her glucose curves and the glucose readings. Mm -hmm. We were able to get over that hump and then I was able to navigate it really seamlessly. Uh, But the other thing that was difficult was just... I navigating the dosage. I think Dave can speak a little bit more to this, but the uh, administering too much uh, insulin is incredibly scary. And uh, we worked really closely with our vet to understand based on her glucose curves, how much insulin to give her. But that process was I think the most anxiety producing, uh, point for us. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Is rather than the physical motions, the judgment call about what her dosage needed to be based on what you were seeing. Yeah, that resonates with me as well. I was really scared to give her too much insulin. I, I'd read a lot about that. It was all over the notes. Like, if you're not sure, don't do it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> You got that message loud and clear. (laughs) Totally. And like, you know, we had the urine test strips that we were using and like, you know, worried because she had really high blood sugar glucose. And so we kept um, increasing the dosage and then we'd be like, all right, we'll check in two weeks. And then we would check it and it would be like super high still. Or then like one day it would sort of like slingshot down to low. And, you know, I I remember something you had said early on, which is that cats don't really tell you by their actions, like where they're at. Um, and so, you know, I felt like we were just having to monitor things kind of on a weekly or even daily basis of like, should we do one and a half? And you're talking about such astronomically small units. Like, yeah, it's so ridiculous. Like the difference between 1.5 and one unit is like half a millimeter. And, you know, you give an extra half millimeter and you could like tank their blood sugar. And so that stuff I think was really way harder than the actual like mechanics of doing it. We were, we got comfortable using the, giving the shots pretty early. And, um, turns out that Alex was like, is, is a gifted, uh, blood from ear drawer. Who would have known? <laughs> not me, not me, but uh, like, it bothered me so much to like see the cat blood. Like it just bothers me. Uh, cause I like, I don't want her to be in pain, even though she really didn't seem to care that much. Uh, and Alex is just like a wizard at it. So that stuff was fine. Uh, but yeah, it was just like the constant sort of like up and down and judgment calls and things. That's really interesting. You know, of all I've, I've had, I've given the diabetes talk so many times, like I could not count the number of times. And usually, you know, I give the talk and then I bug out and the technician does the work of like showing people how to do the injections and stuff. And, um, and I worry a lot about that, but once we have that down, like the insulin administration down and the timing of like, when are we going to check the blood sugar again, whether it's at the clinic or at home, you know, then I, I don't know that I really have given that too much thought that just fear that if something happens, if you give too much accidentally, or we make the wrong judgment call, that it could be catastrophic. And, um, that's, that's a little bit of an eye opener for me because I think I, once felt, I felt comfortable that the, the 
client could give the insulin and could measure the blood sugar or was comfortable bringing the cat back in or whatever, then I kind of felt like, okay, you know, we're going somewhere, but then it's almost like the real work begins mm-hmm. and the real scary part begins because you know how much responsibility we both have in making sure that we don't do the, do the wrong thing. Um, yeah. I remember there was a point where we, we were giving her one, I think one unit or the smallest of dosage and then mm-hmm. it did nothing. And so we bumped it up and uh, you know what to this day, like whether it was in my head or actual, she seemed really lethargic to me. And I, I remember like, that. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, like, Oh, 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 I messed it up. Like I've done, what, what can we do? You know, like, should we like rub the honey in her gums or whatever, right. like all the things. And in the end, like she was fine, but uh, yeah, like it, you start looking, looking for every little sign and, you know, cats are temperamental. And so you don't always get a clear, um, clear vision of what's going on. That's for sure. Yeah. They would, they wouldn't want to make it easy on you. And no. cats are, cats are luckily very resilient with these blood sugar fluctuations. You know I mean? Especially if the blood sugar is lower than it was. And you know, that's, a, that's a start. And if it's not dropping super, super low, they usually can tolerate it pretty well. It seems like, but you obviously don't know where that line is. Um, so I could see that being really scary. And you guys elected, did you elect to do the blood sugar curves at home? Or is that the only option that your vet gave you? Uh, they gave us the option of like bringing her in and they would do it over 12 hours, but mm-hmm. um, it seemed like something that we could do at home if we could figure it out, which we did. And obviously it's like cheaper and easier to do it that way. So, mm-hmm. yeah, probably empowering too, to know that you could check her blood yeah. sugar anytime too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Behringer Ingelheim Animal Health, the maker of ProZinc, ProTamine Zinc Recombinant Human Insulin, is a proud sponsor of AHA's Central Line podcast. Behringer Ingelheim is proud to support veterinarians throughout their careers. Their Veterinary Scholars Program, established more than 30 years ago, introduces veterinary medical students to biomedical research. In addition, they honor their commitments to DEI through the support of Diversify Veterinary Medicine Coalition and Pride VMC. Finally, Beringer Ingelheim supports the well-being of veterinary teams through their support of Not One More Vet and the Veterinary Hope Foundation. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily associated with Beringer Ingelheim Animal Health USA. Visit bi-animalhealth.com to learn more about Beringer Ingelheim Animal Health and their products. Did they ever want her to come back in for a curve and you decided not to do it, or they were like pretty happy with you doing it at home as long as you're comfortable. Yeah. They were happy with us doing it at home. Uh, we would send yeah. them numbers via email, maybe every two weeks, three weeks and adjust, we would adjust the dosage from there. That's cool. It, they had a lot of confidence in you and we do rely a lot on the pet owners when it comes to diabetes management, um, whether or not you're bringing them in for curves, you know, just observation and the insulin administration and measuring it right and feeding and all the stuff, like there's so much pressure on you guys. So kudos for getting over the needle phobia and for Alex now could get a job, you know, as a lab animal technician, (laughs) drawing blood from very tiny veins, which I could not. So (laughs) kudos on that for sure. Um, So you know, speaking frankly, um, there is a question that kind of hovers in the air over these diabetes diagnoses in veterinary medicine when we get them. Um, and that's the question of euthanasia, because as I'm sure you're aware, it costs a lot 
to treat an animal with diabetes, um, especially if you can't do the stuff at home and you have to keep bringing them in all the time, but insulin costs money and follow-up appointments cost money, complications, whatnot. Um, and so that could be one factor. And then there are a lot of people that maybe wouldn't have the ability that you've had to, to actually just tackle this problem and get the testing and insulin injections done. Mm -hmm. Um, so I hope it's okay for me to ask was, was euthanasia ever discussed in that appointment or in the days following? Like, did you guys talk about it together? Um, is that something that the vet team brought up or sort of skirted around? Uh, yeah, the vet never brought it up in, in the initial meeting. I think obviously they were just giving us the treatment options and yeah. um, seeing what, how we responded to that. And I think I was like, sure. Yeah. Like, obviously we want to, we want to work on it. Um, I think like Alex said, you know, as long as her quality of life is good, like we would want to do the treatment. Um, I, we do have pet insurance, shout out pet insurance. So yeah. uh, that's good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, also like we were, we're lucky enough to have the means to, you know, pay the, pay the money and also, uh, jobs that are flexible enough that we could be around to do the injections when need be and the glucose curves. And, um, you know, I think if we were traveling all the time or didn't have the means to do it, it was something that we would have had to discuss. But fortunately, you know, we also have like the world's best uh, cat sitter who I thought had to do uh, injections as well. And so we were able to leave town for a few days at a time and that was totally fine. So, um, you know, all those things were working in our favor. I will say that um, she developed pretty severe um, neuropathy in her back legs mm -hmm. from the diabetes. Um, so she was losing the ability to jump and um, you know, she'd scrabble around when she was walking down the hallway and stuff like that. It, it got pretty, pretty serious. And I think, I don't think we ever like directly discussed it, but in my brain, I was thinking like, if this is just going to get worse and worse, uh, like at what point are you like, well, this quality of life is not good anymore. Um, so that was definitely something I was thinking about. We never, I don't think had a serious conversation about making that decision, but that was, that was the thing, not the diabetes itself, but her inability to move uh, you know, like a cat that was, I think, um, but that weighed most heavily on me as the diet, as the diabetes mom. I never thought about euthanasia. I similarly to Dave, uh, was really concerned and it was just really, really sad to see her neuropathy. I've never seen anything like that before. And she can't communicate to us. So we like, we couldn't ask her, like, how are you feeling? Like, how, how are you with this? But it was clear that she was uh, not only uncomfortable because it was apparent through her legs, but she also wasn't doing the things that she loved to do. She wasn't necessarily as like snuggly and cuddly with us um, as she previously was. In my mind, I was thinking like, can we get her one of those like wheelie situations that dogs have? Uh, or is she just going to like live on a tuffet for the rest of her life? Um, so I was thinking about like, what are the alternatives um, going to look like for her um, to be as comfortable as possible? And she couldn't jump on desks and like sh shove ballpoint pens off in a rage, <laughs> which I would imagine was quite frustrating for her. Um, Audrey has a thing about, ballpoint pens for some reason it's like she can't specifically even... the caps yeah, the right caps. like and it's like if they're on the table with her she is just like so offended by that yeah. i just love that cats the best 
Um, well, I'm glad that it didn't come to that for you. And I'm, and you know, that neuropathy is definitely really disturbing to watch, whether it's caused by diabetes or something else. Um, especially when, you know, it may not totally reverse, even if the treatment is working. Um, and I can totally understand you asking that question because, you know, you're very, focused on her and not you and not the inconvenience to you. You just wouldn't want her to have a life that she didn't love. Um, I can't imagine Audrey not being cuddly with you. So um, I, I have a lot of pictures on my phone for you listeners. I have a lot of pictures on my cell phone. of like Dave and Alex, like cats in their face and stuff. There's a lot. And Dave is allergic by the way. Great. Yeah. So that's going well. Um, so, you know, obviously you are at the one end of the spectrum of, of cat people, you know, you probably would have done anything to make sure that you were doing what you could at the beginning, but if it didn't work, that would have been a separate question. Um, but there are so many people that don't have the experience that you did. And so, um, I want to talk about some of the factors that made your experience, what it was, and also some of the ways that, you know, we could make this easier for people who aren't in your exact circumstances. Um, you know, what, what do you, you've given your vet team some shout outs already, which is great. Like, sounds like they were super patient with you. Very informative. Um, what else do you think went really well about your experience, uh, with them and in during the follow-up afterwards when you were trying to get her regulated? Uh, yeah, I'd say like, as the neuropathy got worse, they were really responsive to that. And they referred us to, um, like a special a specialist who we were having trouble um, getting the dosage right and, and affecting her blood sugar. It was, like I said, it would boomerang too high or too too low, but mostly too high. It was and, an internist they were yeah. to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, like in a city like Brooklyn, you'd think there would be more availability for, for that, but there really wasn't. So um, Alex had to take her into Manhattan. Um, you know, again, you'd think like with all the people and pets, but yeah. um, it was quite challenging to get an appointment and all that. And so uh, you know, that they were really helpful in just being responsive. I would say that's like the number one thing is like, I knew that if I emailed them, I knew they would email me back like the next day or, or failing out the day after. And that is like super helpful because when stuff happens to your pet, you know, you think it's an emergency or it might be an emergency. And, yeah. uh, they were helpful in like parsing whether or not something was an emergency or not and what to do about it and kind of what the signs were we should be looking at. There she is. <laughs> yeah. She's like, oh man. Back on the camera. Yeah. Um, that so is that is email your preferred way to communicate with them or is that their preferred way to deal with communications? Um, I think it's always the easiest way for our vet in particular. I think mm-hmm. like you know you call them and they're probably in an appointment or something like that. And so I think it's the easiest thing for me is just to especially at work is just to drop them an email and then if they sometimes they'll call me back in response to the email and that's totally fine. Um, but because I know that their schedule is probably more jammed up during the day than than almost anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys don't always have the most flexibility to like duck out of whatever you're doing in the middle of a call of the day to, to take a call. So um, that's great. And unless it's an emergency email seems like a great way to talk about diabetes because there's so much back and forth and then you Mm -hmm. have it in writing also, um, which is helpful for both sides. So I can't tell you how many times I like referred back to the last glucose curve or like, is it Mm 1.5 or one unit or things like that. So that was very helpful to have it written down. Uh, Alex, should you should talk about your the book, your diaries, your Audrey journal. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, I started writing down her glucose curves 
so that we could track them and look at them. And I'm a paper person. And Mm -hmm. so just picked up a journal and then started just writing all of the notes and changes that had happened. Uh, So throughout when we've been talking uh, and also in like preparation for um, today, I'm not, you know, Um, (laughs) we, uh, I looked at the notes that we took and it, it was really helpful to have in one place, uh, not just the curves, but all the changes. So I have like when we adjusted doses, I had any normalities, uh, any abnormalities that we saw. Like, okay. Um, so that we could help tell the story to the vet and help understand as we were navigating uh, this disease. And you found that when you followed up with all that information, they were patient with you and you didn't feel like they were like, like there she is with their journal again. No. And I, I I would, that's really important to them. Um, Yeah. And I, I can't say enough how, how thoughtful you, you said before, like, what were some of the things that was helpful? Mm-hmm. It was really helpful for me to talk about my feelings. And I think for David as well, for me to like process how I was feeling in navigating this so that I could make sure that I was monitoring myself and also giving, uh, you know, the respect to, to what I was going through. Uh, I remember really clearly the day that David referenced earlier of when we gave her insulin and then she was really lethargic, uh, afterwards and just kind of recognizing these, uh, human emotions Mm -hmm. was, um, was a really important part of the process for me. I'm really glad you said that. And that's one of the reasons we're, we're having this conversation in this way is that I want to make sure that I get that reminder and that my colleagues get the reminder that there's more, there are more people involved than just the patient. Um, and it's not just about logistically getting you guys to give insulin. It's about the feelings that come along with having a pet you love so much diagnosed with a chronic disease. Um, that has an uncertain future. Um, And I completely understand that. I mean, being in that situation myself with my own animals is very scary, but I think sometimes it's very hard to translate that into um, understanding that clients need support too. And on a busy day, I know I've been guilty of being like, oh my God, she's emailing me again, like about this, you know, glucose curve. Like, I don't know what to do, you know? And the client seemed like they were just being overly um, concerned or not taking my advice and doing the next thing. And it, it was probably just that they were really, really nervous or feeling emotions they didn't have a place to put. Um, and I, and I was the place they were trying to put them. And I had, don't think I was always receptive to that. And um, for all the times that that may have happened, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. And I'm glad that you had that support with each other and with your vet team um, through this. So um, what about things that could have been either done better? And this is not to throw your vet team under the bus. This is more, you know, what do you think 
you would do differently next time? What do you think could have been done differently with your vet experiences or what would make life easier for somebody in your situation? Stuff question. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard uh, I mean, journalism. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they did such a good job. So it's hard. It's hard for me to even like think about, Oh, I wish they had done this and that. I think mm-hmm. the knowledge gap when you're coming into it is really large. Mm-hmm. And so I would have loved, um, to know what a, what a, what a great glucose curve looks like, you know, mm. uh, which is something that I think they were hesitant to provide us, which I understand. And I understand that like all cats are different and, you know, you don't want to necessarily give targets that aren't going to be correct, but I think I would get the numbers and I really didn't know what to do with them other than send them to the vet. And, um, you know, I was like, okay, well it's 275, which is better than it was before. It was 490 before it's like, great, but it, that still seems high. What do I do? Yeah. Um, you know, we turned in a glucose curve once that, um, we had done every two hours, except for we missed one of them. And, uh, they, they were like, you need to do the whole thing again, which I, again, like I understand. And I would never want to put a professional, a, a doctor, like in the position of having to judge with incomplete information and then like hold them accountable if it wasn't correct. So like, I totally understand it, but it was like a little bit deflating. Cause it's like, oh my gosh, we just like, <laughs> we just did this for 12 hours and drew blood. And like, you know, there's, it's, uh, it's, an, it's annoying. Right. And so, yeah. I think maybe so, like sometimes just knowing a little bit more what to expect or like, what is the red flashing light? You know, if this doesn't work or like, uh, you know, when should you panic, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And those are the little things, I, you know, obviously like there, there are parts of the diabetes treatment process that are like a little bit, a little bit annoying and like time consuming. And so those are things that I'd like to make easier, but I, I realized like with the, um, situation we had, I think they did a great job. Yeah. Alex, how about you? Dave uh, named it really, really well. Uh, We were, we were thinking about this question earlier and we uh, all jokingly, not jokingly named that like one awesome change would be on the actual mechanics of the blood glucose indicator. Like I was able to get the blood from Audrey without her actually like leaving my lap. But then when it finishes its reading, it beeps really loudly. And then she would get really startled and jump <laughs> off. And she, she was like afraid. Um, yeah. And so if there's any opportunity, if anybody listening is in charge of the uh, <laughs> decreasing or eliminating the, uh, the beep would be awesome. You know what? That is, I've never heard anyone say that before, but that makes perfect sense. Like why did were you using a glucometer that was designed for animals? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and it's which, the one that, that sits right in their ear. So you have to have the little tab in it mm-hmm. touching their ear to get the thing. And right. then it beeps loudly by definition right in their ear. Right. And that was the thing that, that drove her crazy. It was so That strange. is dumb. It's not like you're not looking at it. So you don't need right. the beep to tell you that it's done. Like you're staring at it because you can't wait to get this thing out of your cat's ear. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So I think that is a really good piece of feedback. And I hope someone in charge of the mechanics, either of that machine or of a machine they're thinking about designing, will remember that for the future, like a a silent glucometer for animal use. I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, Yeah. So that's really useful. And then Dave, what you said about knowing what normal is, I mean, okay, first of all, me too, like same, I would like to know what normal looks like for diabetes management, because it is so hard. Like basically the diabetes management guidelines that we have is like, 
the closest thing we can come to how to treat diabetes, but it is such gray area. Like the whole disease is gray area. You know, is this too high or too low? Well, it depends on the number before it and the number after it and the number in three hours and like how long they've been diabetic and what did they eat that day? And, you know, or is the pet owner sticking to the diet? And it's so, it's so tricky to make those judgment calls. And I think that speaks to what I was saying before, how sometimes I didn't, I don't think I was aware of the emotional component of this regulation period, which sometimes can be the entire lifetime of the pet because regulation is just really hard. And I think a lot of the reason why sometimes I wasn't as sympathetic to that is because I was really stressed out on my end, trying to make decisions, you know, veterinarians and veterinary teams make decisions 300 billion times a day, just like teachers do. And all of the decisions matter, you know, like could affect someone's life in a big way. And um, I think I just, I remember thinking like, I just, I, I hope this is the right decision every single time. It was rarely obvious. So, but I think we could have done a better job of telling our clients what to expect um, and what to look for and like what ultimately what our goal was, even if not in numbers, if we were saying like, okay, if we get to this point, at least she's not in danger of needing to be hospitalized, you know, blood sugar of 600, blood sugar of 300, they're both high, but 300, you're probably going to not have the catastrophic effect if that's the highest it gets, um, stuff like that. So I think that's really useful too. Um, I was also wondering, so a couple of the changes, the updates that we made to the diabetes guidelines, one of them is about continuous glucose monitoring and that it doesn't necessarily say this is the right thing to do, or this is not the right thing to do, but it's talking, it's just giving a little bit of a blurb about it because it is something that we're going to be seeing more and more of in veterinary medicine. I know a lot of people are using it already. And that's like, um, where you, uh, have the little sensor that, um, sticks on your skin. So it's actually a human product. Um, and they have, it comes with an applicator and you kind of like pop it onto your skin and it has this very tiny little flexible needle that helps it go into your skin. And then the needle gets pulled out and it just has a little sensor that sticks underneath your skin and it measures what the interstitial glucose is. So the glucose in the tissue there under your skin, and it just sits on there and it can stay for like 10 to 14 days, depending on the type. And then you can actually turn your smartphone with an app into a reader and like scan it. And then it gives you data for what that glucose is. It's pretty cool, but um, you know, it's not something everybody's using now. And so I was wondering if that was something your vet team had ever talked to you about, or if you've ever heard about that other than talking to me um, since then. Uh, I can't remember if they brought it up. Uh, I'm pretty sure I heard about it from you and not from them. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it, I think if Audrey had, had been less compliant. Yes. And, for instance, say a Henry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think if she had made the process more difficult mm-hmm. because she wasn't on board um, or if Alex hadn't been so freaking good at um, taking blood from, from ears. Yeah. Um, I, I think that would, something like that would be really helpful. Like in the same way it's helpful for humans. Right. I, I think like, you know, I, I remember growing up watching people sticking themselves every single day, you know, multiple times a day on their finger. And now they have, you know, mostly built in insulin monitors. And I think like anything you can do for that with cats would also be helpful in the sense that 
it does probably take a lot of the guesswork out of it. You could take the readings much more easily. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think there's lots of cases where I could see that being extremely helpful because I do think that the glucose curve is like is the hardest part. I think it's harder than the injections. Yeah. Um, so and that would give good good data, right? Yeah, yeah, it would. It's um, you know, it's not perfect. Uh, she'd have to go into the vet and have this thing applied. So they have right. to shave a spot and then clean it with alcohol. Most cats already are not loving that part. And then you put the sensor against the skin, you have to kind of pop it against the skin. So a lot of them don't love that either, but it's so quick and it doesn't seem like it's painful. Um, and then you have to get it to stay on there, which usually means a little bit of skin glue. Um, and so then if they don't scratch it off, you have to take it off when it's time to put a new one on or when you don't want it on anymore. So that's not perfect either, but that's the vet team doing all of that and not right. you, um, which is a key difference for a lot of people. I think they just mm -hmm. don't want to be the bad guy or, or can't bring themselves to do that. Or the cat doesn't really allow it at home. Right. Um, so Alex, what do you, like if you had, if the needle phobia had been prohibitive, and Dave was the only one who could stick sharp things into Audrey. <laughs> um, how do you think this would have gone differently? Like, do you think you would have had to rely on something like that or kind of trek her back into the vet more? Previously, when when we did when David had to administer allergy medicines, I just tried to take over more of the chores uh, <laughs> as a as a means to say thank you. But I, I think that if it was uh, if all of the duties relied on just one person and then if David had to be away, it would have relied on me. I yeah. certainly would have looked into alternatives. Yeah. Um, there's also the other, um, update to the guidelines has to do with an FDA approved insulin, um, for cats and dogs. And I know that the insulin you were giving, you were doing twice a day, right? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that would have helped you to have a once a day option? <laughs> At least if Alex had been out of commission. Yeah. I think absolutely. I and mean, we, not that we were planning to go away a lot because this is also all like during COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, but Dave and I certainly like couldn't even think about like doing a weekend away somewhere because it would have, uh, we, we couldn't be gone in the morning and the evening. Uh, yeah. And so having a once a day administration would definitely uh, make, have made our lives easier. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm glad that it didn't come to any of that where you needed to change up the plan or where you were in a position where you couldn't give her the treatment she needed. Like you guys are rock stars. You really just figured it out. And she also did not make it super hard on you compared to some cats, um, which is a blessing always. Thank you, Audrey. Um, we'll hope that Henry never gets diabetes. Um, <laughs> but uh, at least, you know, there are some different options for management so that, you know, if you ever had to go through this again, you, you could maybe take a slightly different approach if, if you had to do it with a cat who wasn't as pliable as Audrey. Um, how's Audrey doing now? She's, so uh, she's lounging on the chair mm -hmm. uh, in the sun. She's, She's uh, not, I would say not even just like back to normal. I think that she's even like sweeter now and Dave might disagree with me, but she is such a, I was talking to my mom about her the other day and 
if uh, David or I like mistakenly steps on Henry's, Henry has is our other cat. He's he's gotten a lot of shade on this podcast, <laughs> rightfully so. He's, he's also a, a really sweet cat, but um, has some multiple personalities. And if we like mistakenly step on his tail, he will respond um, with some agitation. And Audrey just like gets right in between us. And Henry, like not only just like in that moment, but will like sit uh, like between us to ensure that like Henry cannot attack us or harm us in any way. And oh my gosh, it is so. It, it's like she knows uh, how much we have cared for her and how much we care about her, and her. Uh, physicality is back to a hundred percent and she is just so sweet. And she's in remission now, right? You're not having to yes. give insulin now. Yeah. So in, in late March, um, it, we started to notice the glucose declining on, in the tests. And the other uh, thing I noticed right away is that we have a, we got a breeds litter box, mm-hmm. um, which has like the the pads on the bottom. So it was actually really, and she, for some reason, Henry does not use it, which was super helpful. That is um, super helpful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and so it, it was like very visual how quickly her level of urination went down. Um, so those two things combined, we started to test her a little bit more frequently because I didn't, again, I was petrified to give her too much insulin mm-hmm. if her blood sugar was low. And yeah, it just reached a point where it had been a week. We hadn't given her insulin and she was in the, in the low hundreds usually. Um, and yeah, the vet declared her intermission at the end of March. So I I was really impressed that her neuropathy went away, like in a matter of weeks and yeah, she's, uh, she's jumping all over the place and, uh, she's, she's the best. So, yeah. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your cats, maybe your cats should write a pamphlet. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Like how to be a good patient and then how to stay out of the special litter box that's supposed to detect (laughs) the glucose in the urine. That would be cool. (laughs) I would love to see them write those things. My idea for her autobiography title was, oh my God, a cat wrote a book. (laughs) I can understand why that's not a good title. I mean, uh, not magic mouse. (laughs) We we are a book family. So, you know, if any cat's going to write a book, it, it might be. (laughs) <laughs> might be one of ours. Totally. Um, I, my cat's definitely not writing the book. He's not an intellectual type. So, <laughs> um, but I, I love that. And and I'm so glad she's doing well. And that just speaks to how um, committed you guys are. And she obviously knows that. I mean, she's completely indulged and spoiled and that's exactly how it should be. Sure. Um, and, you know, I really appreciate you telling us the things that went really well for you and also acknowledging that it's not going to be like this for everybody, but even for your experience, which I would say overall, you know, anxiety aside, needle phobia aside has really been like the ideal progression of clients and a cat with, you know, dealing with diabetes. Like you're the, you're the test case. It's like a perfect situation. However, it still was really, really hard for you. And it's still a matter of daily life that you think about it. And you're like, is she going to need to go on insulin again? You know, we have to watch her all the time and make sure. And you still had that guilt at the beginning, even though she's had a wonderful life with you so far, and you've done everything to make her life fantastic and comfortable. And, you know, this isn't something that you, you could have seen coming. And it's like, I, I think for her being the easiest, easiest case and making air quotes 
and you still having to navigate all of that is actually a really good thing for people to hear and for me to hear because it doesn't, it means in best case scenario, it's still a really hard thing. Totally. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of work, but we're, we feel really lucky about the way it's progressed. So uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's good. And Alex, I, you know, I have this visual, I feel like from a story Dave told me of you, like in a fetal position when it came to getting a, a, a booster of some kind of vaccination, um, possibly sobbing. And I've, <laughs> I like utmost props <laughs> for, for being that person and also being this person who could make blood materialize out of a cat's ear seemingly by magic. So appreciate you. I was on the ground with a stuffed animal that the uh, nurse had given me while I heard her say to Dave, Oh, you're strong. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to let us get away with not telling that story. So. Appreciate you both. Love you. <laughs> um, well, thank you both so much. I really, I do appreciate this. And um, I, I think focusing on diabetes as a common disease, but never an easy one is always a good thing to do. So thanks for helping us take a few minutes to do that. And I'm so glad Audrey's doing well. Yeah, you got <laughs> it. Thanks thank for having you us. so much, Katie. Yeah. And I think um, Audrey's headshot might go on the thumbnail for this episode oh, instead yeah. of yours. Sorry, guys. No, that's the right. We have, we have probably a thousand pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's very photogenic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And thanks um, to our friends at Beringer Ingelheim for uh, sponsoring this episode and for being such a generous supporter of the guidelines and of AHA in general. Um, and also, you know, thanks to everybody for listening and for taking a minute to think about what it's like across the exam table. Um, we'll have more conversations like this if you like it. So please let me know what you think at podcast at aha.org. And we'll catch you next time on Central Line. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.